Good afternoon. Thank you once again for joining me. Julian Campbell here. We've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. Later in the program, we've got a couple of our Harvard business tips up our sleeve. One of them is talking about avoiding the pitfalls of emotions in your emails. We're also chatting with Christina Sikiotis, and we're going to be talking about some tips for innovation in your workplace. But right now, it's time to pop over to AV Chartered Accountants and have a chat with Tony Vidray. Good afternoon, Tony. Good afternoon, Julian. How are you? I'm very well, and you're well, welcome to the new financial tax year. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's, it's, you're getting it's busy, are you? so long ago now. <laughs> you're starting to uh, get very busy, I presume. Oh, I get very emotional in my emails, Julian, <laughs> especially when I put things in uppercase oh, and exclamation marks and, and smiley faces. <laughs> and, and news read. And emoticons, yeah. Well, <laughs> well you, be, you better listen to the tip in a bit in half an hour's time. Then. I'll stick around, <laughs> for sure, for sure. So we, we talked about Superstream last week, uh, or last month, and uh, a couple of changes happening, or there's a little bit of a confusion, yeah, I think, over some of it. Yeah, a little bit of a, oh, there's a lot of confusion, but just a little bit of an update where um, a little bit of a spanner has been thrown in the works. We spoke about there being two classes of employers. One of them was uh, if you had um, 20 or more employees. Um, now, it's pretty clear if you've got more than 20, you have to use Superstream. You've got to get it ready um, by 31st of October this year. It's been extended. Mm. And really, the only way you can do Superstream is by having your software compliant um, with a Superstream provider, um, which, which is causing a few challenges for people updating their, their software. So that part of it's okay. Then we spoke about those under uh, 19 employees. They've got a whole year. This financial year that we're writing now, by 30 June next year, they have to be ready for, for Superstream. So, but they've got two choices. They can actually um, update their software and mm-hmm. use you know, the providers. But the tax office gave them a concession to say, look, if you've got under 19 employees, you can use the what's called the ATO Clearinghouse. So there's, you don't have to update your software. So if you've got really old software or you're using spreadsheets or, or um, you know, you don't, <clears throat> you're not really averse with this stuff, you can actually use the ATO Clearinghouse. Right. Um, which is all well and good. Now, where they made a slight change was that they threw in a third type of employer, and that is if you've got more than 20 employees, but your turnover is under 2 million. Okay, yeah. So if that's the case, you fall into the category, they'll treat you as if you've got less than 20 employees, and you can use the clearinghouse. So they'll still class you as a small business. So there's a kind of a third category, but then you fit into the into the second category of being <laughs> of being under under 20 employees. So it is extraordinarily confusing, and and um, we're already starting to get some inquiries. And I, I think um, probably the best way is I need to hold a breakfast to get everyone in the room and try and explain it all to them at the uh, at the same time. Will it be a nice breakfast? Oh, oh, breakfast <laughs> I, the breakfast I throw always up. <laughs> um, so the clearinghouse, is that information readily available on the tax office website? Yeah, look, it is. Um, the tax office website is very, very hard to navigate. You're actually better <laughs> off trying to, trying to, rather than search within the tax office website, you're better off searching through your search engine, through Google or Yahoo or Firefox, Firefox and the articles come up and then you, then you can drill down okay. um, directly into the ATO um, yeah, website. So there's a lot of information and I find it very circular, the, the website. It sends you yes. in a lot. You click on another link, which leads you to another link. It's like an adventure trail and it leads you to, to another one. So, mm. it, yeah, you need to get some proper advice on it and pretty quick smart because it'll, um, 30 June next year, will come a lot quicker than you think. It will. And what about the collaborative 
economy. Apparently the tax office is having trouble getting their head around that. I think they're, well, that's my opinion. I think they're having a little bit of trouble getting their head around it. Well, I, I sat through a fantastic presentation last week down in Sydney by a lady called Rachel Botsman. She wrote a book a few years ago called What's Mine is Yours. And it's all about this concept of the collaborative economy or the sharing economy. And essentially, yeah, what's mine is yours. So let's, and we'll do a couple of examples. Um, Uber is a classic example. Um, I drive, um, say, from Maitland to Newcastle every day, and I've got a bit of excess space in my car, so I say, I get onto the Uber site and say, yep, I'm happy to drive people from point A to point B, and they pay me for the privilege. Um, and then also, you might have a spare room in your house um, that, that, you know, doesn't get used. Um, say a lot of empty nesters, they decide they want some rental income. Um, if you've heard of a website called Airbnb, um, you get onto Airbnb and you say, I have a room um, for rent. Now, the tax office are having a little bit of trouble getting their heads around a lot of this new technology. There was a, an article I read just today, which I don't really want to go into detail because I don't fully understand it myself, but there's a new type of currency called Bitcoin that's around and they're having all sorts of headaches around how to treat Bitcoin, do you add GST to it, so, you know, is it a financial supply, all this sort of stuff. So a lot of these new things that are happening don't quite fit the definitions of, of what they have. The problem the tax office have with Uber and people who drive for Uber is they think um, their opinion is that they are taxi drivers. Mm. Now, which is no big deal except for the fact that if you're a taxi driver, there's a little quirk in the GST legislation that says you have to register right from your very first dollar. So every other business has a choice as to whether they register for GST or not if they, their turnover is under $75,000 per annum. You've got a choice. Yeah. You don't have that choice if you're a taxi driver. Yeah. So they've issued a ruling to say, we reckon you're all taxi drivers. You have to register for GST right from the first dollar. Two days ago, there's an announcement Uber actually suing the tax office. They're taking them on, saying our drivers We're are not taxis. taxi drivers. <laughs> so there's, there's a... And, and look, it might be just... Um, something as simple as um, the tax office going to the government saying, could you change the legislation to include um, yeah, the, these casual yeah. Uber drivers as taxi drivers? Mm. And then that's it. They're caught. But at the moment, some it's of them bad. are slipping through the cracks. Now, going to your example, you've got that spare room that's uh, for rent. So you think that's a great idea. Um, the example that um, the lady in Sydney gave us, which I thought was a, a clanger, was a there's a lady in America who has a teepee set up in her backyard. And she shared a photo of this teepee. This is no ordinary teepee. It's suspended up off the ground. It has heaters. They've got linen, all that sort of stuff. This lady makes $25,000 per annum in renting out a teepee in her backyard. Mm. And the challenge that it creates for you, of course, is if you rent out your room, yes. um, then my tax brain starts to kick in the, into action and think, well, you know, one day when you sell your house and you try and say that, oh, um, no, no, this is my principal place of residence, all of the proceeds are tax-free because I've lived in it the whole time, the ATO might have something to say about that because, mm. well, hang on, now you've actually used part of your residence to earn income. Yeah. So caution, yeah, you'd have to proceed with caution if, if you um, want to earn some extra income because you might actually be stuffing up the capital gains tax-free status of your house one day down the track um, when you sell it. And, of course, you need to be paying tax on the uh, rental of the spare room, too. And it's, it's income like ordinary <laughs> income. It's like ordinary rental income, and, and that's it. And, and as soon as you start declaring income, of course, it, it opens the door, it unlocks the door to be able to claiming um, deductions against it, but, you know, not not the whole house, not, yeah. the, not all of the interest, not all of the rates, not all of the water rates. So there's a, there's a lot of challenges. challenges so I guess the reason you and I talk about these things is... Um, 
you know, get the right advice and, and hasten slowly with these sort of things. Make the right decision with all your, all your information. Because the tax office always had trouble with uh, bartering as well, haven't they? Oh, yeah, I remember the bartering system when it first came out. Yeah. Um, they had a couple of false starts and, and uh, rulings that were issued and then withdrawn and and they've finally got the right answer now, which is essentially if you if you barter for goods, you, you, it's, a, it's, it's like money. It's like a separate um, bank account. Yep. And um, yeah, the, the, if you do if you do services um, for, for income, then you have to put a, a value um, of, uh, of funds that you've received. Service. It's like you know, if I do a job for you and and um, and you do a job for me, and and yeah, we we have this sort of bartering scenario where where I end up with a you know like a jumper or something like that, something private. At the end of the day, it's like you know, you've paid me money and I've gone out and used that money to go and buy something private with it. There's a, there's a taxing point there yeah. on that kind of, that deemed receipt of, uh, in, you know, that first transaction. So mm. so those rules are pretty clear now, but it's, uh, yeah, I always find these things very interesting, the way the world is changing and uh, and uh, the challenges that it, uh, it gives governments and, and trying to collect their, uh, their, their cash collections for, for tax. And one day we might have a chat about my gov. <laughs> oh yeah! Look, the way oh, technology's going. <laughs> oh my goodness, MyGov is MyGov is the the talking point at the moment, which is creating a lot of problems um, yeah. for for accountants. I'll give you a very quick heads up on MyGov. Do you know that if if um, we have a client right now who who has a MyGov account, when we lodge their tax return, we don't get their uh, notice of assessment. It goes electronically to the MyGov account, okay. and that and the, and the problems start from there. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty. Okay, thanks very much for your time, Tony. Uh, we'll have a chat with you again next month. No worries at all. Have a good week. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Cheers. Tony Vidre there from AV Chartered Accountants. Yes, be mindful of uh, Superstream, although there's a few challenges about there, and I'll, there obviously will be, for, particularly for small businesses, some seminars and workshops coming up soon. You're listening to Business, The Law and You on 2NURFM 103.7. It's uh, 25 minutes past one. Time to pop over to Christina Sikiotis. Good afternoon, Christina. Good afternoon, Julian. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. We're going to have a perfect session now. So, uh, oh, we are. <laughs> obviously, innovation is the perfect solution. You're going to give us a few tips on innovation in my workplace. Yeah, so I thought we might talk today about how to how to foster an innovative team um, within a workplace. And that doesn't mean that you've got a, a team that only works on innovation. It means that you bring people together and they have the 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 honour in my books, but the responsibility or the or the job of creating innovative practices or creating innovative opportunities within your workplace. And they may meet once a week, once a month, doesn't matter. Whatever it is, is better than than no meeting at all. So ways to really um, I guess care for and nurture that innovation team um, can be things like having having a diverse team because when you leverage diversity you get cross pollinization of, of ideas and it's a really healthy thing to have a tension sometimes between differing viewpoints because what you can do is debate and play devil's advocate bounce ideas backwards and forwards and come up with something that will work for the organization um, it's it's really good to have risky conversations as opposed to avoiding them, and it's really good because they stimulate different ideas at different points of time. It's also a handy thing to know your team members' strengths. So if if you have a room full of really strong marketers, um, there's not much diversity in that, and there's not much, there's not a whole lot of there are a whole lot of ways if you're working on a marketing campaign for those people to work together. But if you're working on an innovation strategy, you probably only need one or two people who have a marketing 
um, marketing strength mm. because they'll go really well with somebody who's got an admin strength and someone else who's a bit of a visionary and they can put the whole thing together um, and work on the innovation campaign or the innovation idea um, in that respect. So leveraging, knowing each other's strengths is a really good thing. Um, the other the other thing tip that we um, suggest often is to actually get a little bit personal um, in that in that team environment. So know things about your teammates. Have some kind of relationship with your teammates because at the end of the day, it's not often the things that we did at work that we remember. It's the people that we worked with mm. um, and their attributes and the relationships that we've built with them. So get to know people in your team. So it's a really good thing. And obviously the, the two most important things, plan what you're going to do. So plan how you're going to go about coming up with your innovation strategies and set rules for conversation. So what rules are you going to abide by? And, and it can be just like, what kind of language are we going to use? Um, is everybody going to bring an idea to the meeting each week, month, whenever it's going to be? But if you plan what you want to do, plan the outcomes, and you set rules around behaviour and outcomes, the innovation team can be really productive in a very short amount of time. So yeah, obviously it's not just a question of hidden miss ideas. It's having that planning and thinking ahead, isn't it? Oh, for sure. Because And, you know, there's, it's really good to have those and let's have these big idea sessions, but then without the planning and without the, the promoting and without um, taking it to management or putting it out to the rest of your colleagues, there's no point because you're not going to get any support and the idea's not going to go anywhere. So you really do need to plan. Great. Well, thanks very much for your time, Christina, and next week we've got a very interesting little case study we can look at or story. We have. Okay. We have. I can't wait to share it with you. I'll talk to you next week. Have a good week. Okay, look forward to it. You Bye. too. Bye-bye. Christina Security is there. There's some little tips there for making innovation and just plan it properly, have the right people, understand and work together. Well, we've got time for a couple of our Harvard Business Review tips. And as we said earlier, we're going to do this one on avoid the pitfalls of emotions in emails because we all know emails are very easy to send but sometimes create all sorts of emotions. We all struggle with how to communicate emotion over email. Without normal clues like tone of voice or facial expressions, miscommunication can happen easily. So here's some recommendations that might help. Firstly, people overestimate their ability to convey emotions in emails. The simplest way to avoid confusion is to explicitly state the emotion that you want to relay. For example, I'm very happy with this. Or I am confused And you're telling people of the emotion Next, people also read and interpret emotions differently Prevent misunderstandings by imagining how your email will sound to the recipient We tend to trust those who act like us Mimicking the style of the person you're emailing, whether through emoticons, exclamation points or slang Can help you come across the way you intend And lastly, it's easy to appear fake or ungenuine over email. Sometimes making an intentional typo can help you seem warmer and more authentic, especially when you're in a position of power. So a couple of little interesting points there about emotions. And what about being busy isn't the same as being productive. Research has found that people have a natural aversion to idleness. We'll go out of our way to stay busy, even if we have to invent things to do. But being too busy can be counterproductive. Studies have also shown that we have a bias towards action. And when faced with a problem, we prefer to act, even if it would uh, 
be best to pause first or do nothing. Together, both of these behaviours show that choosing to be busy is the easy choice. Being productive, by contrast, is more challenging. What helps remedy this dilemma? Take time to step back and reflect on a regular basis. Reflection helps us to understand the actions we're considering and choose the ones that will make us more productive. Even 15 minutes minutes of planning each morning can help. So the next time you feel busy, stop and think about what you actually need to be doing. There's a couple of interesting little tips there. Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. In a moment, Greg Richard will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we'll be talking with Markey Insurance. We'll have our Minute on Innovation and some more business and legal news and views that might affect your business. I'd love your company again for Business, the Law and You at the same time next week. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous weekend. As Dale Carnegie once said, most of us have far more courage than we ever dreamed possible.